0: we're we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, and so invite you to turn there in your Bible. We're in this series, The Undiluted Jesus, uh, who, who gives us as the body of Christ all that we need and nothing that we don't. And uh, you know, there's an art to introducing somebody to a congregation or to a crowd. And I'm sure you've all heard it done uh, poorly sometimes and very well sometimes. And it's it's helpful for the introduction not to be too short or too long. And uh, they're used to help set the expectations of what you can expect from the person and to make the case why they should be respected and listened to. And um, There's one actually recorded right here in Colossians chapter 1 by the Apostle Paul uh, in, cha- in, uh, in this little book. And Paul is sitting in prison and he's writing this little love letter to a church that he's never been to. Because he has heard a report on them that they're struggling to keep Jesus number one in their church. And they've kind of been bringing in philosophies and theories from the world around them. And he's trying to encourage them to keep the main thing the main thing. And he's heard that they've been letting too many distractions get in the way. And mixing in way too many ideas from the world around them. And losing their focus on what and on who is really important. So Paul makes an introduction that goes something like this. He says, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce the person who is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's tops. He's created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him, all things were created for him. He is before all things, and he holds all things together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the best. He is preeminent in everything. All the fullness of God dwells in him, and God is pleased. He's the one who can reconcile man with God on earth or in heaven, and he makes peace with God and man by shedding his blood on the cross. He can present you holy and blameless and above reproach to God. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jesus Christ, the God-man, our Savior. And, of course... If you were so introduced, there would be applause that would be thundering, and we have joined in our own praise and adoration of Jesus as today as well. So why is Jesus so special, and what is the right place for him? Do you know, he had a conversation with his disciples at a critical point in his ministry uh, along the same lines. He said to them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say, and, and this is found in Matthew chapter 16, and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, who had recently been martyred and had been uh, a spokesman of, to the people saying, repent and get ready because God's coming near. Others say Elijah, who was the fiery prophet, who uh, you can find in uh, 1 Kings uh, 17, 18, 19, calling down fire from heaven. Some say Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet, weeping over the city of Jerusalem as it crashed and burned, or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this happened while Jesus was still alive. He's basically saying, Peter, the statement you make, that I'm the Christ, the Son of God is that foundation stone. It's the rock. And on that, I will build my church, Jesus said. When he's saying this, he's still alive. He's still with the disciples. And there already are differing views of who is this Jesus and people who have different opinions. But people didn't all agree. But the answer that you give to that question would then and now set you on a pathway, either toward life that is truly life, because... Um, you have recognized that Jesus is unique among all people who in the world who have ever tried to start a, a a faith or a religion, and there's something special, or you would choose against him and say he's nothing special, and that would put you on a different path that doesn't lead to to eternal life. Even then, Jesus was in charge and was building his church, and it was shortly after this that he went to Jerusalem and died for the sin of the world, including yours. And then not everyone saw Jesus for who he really was, even then, that he was God come in human flesh. So there are so many differing views of Jesus in the world, even to this day. How do you decide? Well, here at South Shores, we have determined that we believe that the Bible is God's inspired word. It's our guide for our faith and practice. It is our authority. This Bible claims that Jesus was God come in human flesh. So we believe it and we're going to live by it. This is the case that the Apostle Paul makes to the Colossians church, that uh, Paul gives us a concentrated, undiluted, unabashed, accurate, and complementary picture of Jesus. Here's the big idea that Paul expresses. Jesus has the highest authority over all the created world because he made it and he sustains it. Jesus has the highest authority over all people who have fallen, which is everybody who's ever been born, except for Jesus, because he died to redeem them. And Jesus has the athi- highest authority over you as well. So choose faith in Jesus and stick to your faith. So Paul makes the case that Jesus is tops, that Jesus is number one. I mean, this is masterful. It's clear and it's concise and it's complimentary. And this is one of the most undiluted ultimate power statements about Jesus in the Bible or anywhere in the world. It's one of the best descriptions of Jesus ever formulated. So first he makes the claim of Jesus' supremacy over everything, and he divides it into three areas. First, over all of creation. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15 with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all the creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. He was the visible image of the invisible God. I heard of a little girl in school, and the students are supposed to be drawing pictures. And so the teacher's walking around, looking over their shoulder at their artwork, and he gets to this one picture, and the girl hasn't quite started yet. And she said, what are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, that's going to be next to impossible, because nobody's ever seen God. Nobody knows what God looks like. And the girl said, well, just wait till I get done. (laughs) Then you'll see him. Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. If you'd seen Jesus, you have seen God. Now, the Bible tells us in a prophecy about Jesus that there would have been nothing handsome or attractive about him that would have attracted us to him. He looked like just your average person, but he was infused with the Spirit of God because he was God come in human flesh. And Jesus has always been God and always will be the image of God because he's God. I mean, being born in this world just brought him into view for humanity. The word for image, the Greek word, icon, expresses two ideas. One is likeness, that Christ is the image of God in the sense that he has the exact likeness, like identical twins look alike, or like you look like your reflection, reflection that you see in a mirror. The other idea uh, uh, in this word is manifestation. That is, Christ is the image of God in the sense that he's the nature of, and the being of God, and the nature and being of God are perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. John one eighteen says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has declared him. He's shown us. And so uh, Paul says that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, this concept of Jesus being the firstborn of all creation shows up in here in colossians but also in romans uh, chapter 8 in hebrews chapter 1 and in revelation chapter 1 and it kind of has two things that it denotes Um, it may denote either priority in time or superiority in rank so he's number one in priority of time because he never was born the bible says god always was And so when he began creating things, obviously God had been here before he began to create things that were uh, born of creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is preeminent. He's superior. He's the firstborn or the Lord over all creation because he made it. Now, we live in a world that's wanted to get away from this. We live in a world where if someone is a scientist, uh, they're thought of as intelligent, someone who sees the world and physical laws as the place where wisdom and answers can be found, that science can explain everything apart from God. And yet, there are some struggles there, aren't there? So here are two answers. Which of these uh, appears more intelligent and more accurate to you? Number one, Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state then, nearly 14 billion years ago. Expansion started. Wait. The earth began to cool. The autotrophs began to drool. Neanderthals developed tools. We built a wall. We built the pyramids. Math, science, history, unraveling the mystery that all started with... Oh, you've seen it, huh? You've you've heard this poem before. Um, Or, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So even if you say, well, the first one... The universe was in a hot, dense state. Who created the hot, dense state? You can't really get back before God. That Even if God used uh, an evolutionary process in his creating, God was there creating the world and bringing uh, people into being. For by him, Paul tells us, verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, And for him, Jesus is the creator. He's God. And so the gospel records numerous occasions where Jesus demonstrated his power over the physical world. Jesus went to a wedding. They ran out of wine. So he turned six barrels of of water into wine. He went out uh, one day and the boat had left ahead of him. He didn't get there in time. So he walked out on the water until he reached the boat. That's in Matthew 14. He took a little boy's lunch of bread and fish and fed 5,000 men plus women and children with it. That's recorded in all four gospels in Matthew 14, Mark 6. Luke 9 and John 6. He was in the boat one day and it was nearly about to capsize and he stood up and he said, peace be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. And on and on. The world was in subjection to Jesus Christ because he's the Lord. He created it. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is before all things. He's before all in time, and he's before all things. He's above all things in rank. He's the firstborn. He has the preeminence. So we don't need to have fear in the created world or to worship the created world, because Jesus is greater, and he made it. It's for his glory, and it answers to him. Similarly, we can't adequately explain or understand our world without knowing the one who made it, without recognizing the creator, the one for whom it was made, and the one who continues to hold everything together. The second thing that Paul wanted to stress was the supremacy of Jesus over all people who have fallen, which is all people. In verse 18, he says, "'He is the head of the body, the church.'" He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All the fullness of God was dwelling in him. Now, when a baby is born, his DNA has already been established. And even though he's little, like Toby, His DNA will not increase or improve even as he grows and matures. Everything is already fully there for him to become the man that God intended when he first created him. And Jesus was fully God while he walked on this earth. To be the head of the church is to be its supreme leader. Christ as the head of the church, the chief, its leader, guides and governs the church. The he is emphatic like it's underlined. The meaning being that Christ alone, the he, he is the head of the church. Remember Jesus said, "I will build my church he didn 't say i 'll build our church or the church he will build He said he would build my church Church the word is ecclesia means called out ones or the assembly or the congregation it 's a term embracing all the redeemed people who have heard God's call and have responded in faith and obedience. So the mention of the church as the body of Christ here suggests at least three things. The church is a living organism compared to a body that has lots of parts, but are all connected to one another. If you want to do a companion reading, jump back a couple of books and read Ephesians. Here in Colossians, he says Christ is the head of the church. And in Ephesians, he says the church is the body of Christ and talks about how we stay connected to Christ, to one another, and that we're his eyes and ears, his hands and feet. We do his work in this world. That's one of the beauties of what we're looking at with... uh, Uh, military or marine ministry that, uh, I mean, Chuck Herpik has done a lot of that before and has uh, laid a good foundation, needs other people to come along and basically be Jesus with skin on to reach out to military people here in our community and express the love of Christ in tangible ways. It's a very meaningful ministry. And that's what we're to be about as the church, because the church is the means by which Christ carries out his purposes and performs his work. And that the union that exists between Christ and his people is most intimate and real. That together they constitute one living unit, each in a sense being complete without the other. For him, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is... Supreme over all people who have fallen and all people have. So we don't need to fear our fallen world and all the sin and all the ugliness that abounds, the, the terrorism, the racism, the political instability. Jesus entered into our fallen world in order to lead us out of it and to call his people to be the church in this world to represent him and to work on his behalf. He is the firstborn of a new creation. Now, look how God, good God is. I mean, God made the world and then gave it free choice, and it didn't talk, take long for them to choose poorly, and so they need a savior. If the world had needed a teacher, God would have sent a teacher. If they needed an economist, God would have sent an economist. If he had sent a, uh, needed a lawyer, they would have sent a lawyer. If it needed a doctor, God would have sent a doctor. If the world needed a politician, heaven help us, God would have sent a politician. But this world needed a savior. God sent himself, Jesus, the savior. That's the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He's the head of the body, the church. Church doesn't need a second head. Church of Jesus Christ just needs all of us to follow our head, our master, Jesus. Jesus had asked, who do people say that I am? And they gave various answers. Who do you say that I am? And he's the Christ. On this rock, he said, I will build my church on this foundation that I, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Build your life on him. So we've seen that Jesus is over all creation. He was the creator. And we've seen that Jesus is supreme over all people and that we need a savior. And he does better than that. Jesus is the supreme leader of the church, the fallen people who have figured out, I need a savior, and have called on the only one qualified to be their savior, Jesus, God. Well, you could see how the circle is just keeps getting smaller because Paul starts with says, Jesus is supreme over the entire universe. He's supreme over the world. He's supreme over all of people, the people who have fallen, the people who have called on him to be their savior. And then there's one more. He says, so the circle, is Paul shrinks it down to just one, just you. Look at verse 21. And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, some people recognize that we are broken, but they think that the answers are found Inside themselves, I've got to find myself. You know, positive thinking and personal autonomy. And sorry to break it to you, but it's not as it's promoted in our world. Even in movies like, you know, Kung Fu Panda 3 that says, you know, it's all about looking inside yourself, finding who you are. It doesn't work. Left to yourself, Paul says, you were alienated if you think of the word alienated, you could think of the baby giraffe that got separated from its mom by four lionesses that are hungry. Okay, you don't like that picture? A baby hippo that was separated from his mom by four lionesses that were hungry. Or a wildebeest or whatever. You know what I'm saying? They get alienated and, and the disaster is short coming behind it. Paul says you are alienated Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you were estranged from God, you got things off the tracks, and it just didn't go well after that. You became enemies of God, but God reconciled you to himself by Christ's death on the cross. And because of that, you were declared not guilty, righteous. In fact, you were presented as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I don't think Paul is using the word here, holy, to describe us or our conduct. He's talking about the position we've been given in Jesus Christ, that there's not a person alive who's lived a life without a blemish, without shortcomings, without sin. I was with my dad a few months ago, and I said, Dad, you know what could make you look 10 years younger? He said, what? I said, wipe your chin. (laughs) We went on eating lunch, and it wasn't too long before I said, Son, you could look 10 years younger. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha every one of us has some blemish and shortcoming, and we need a Savior. And when we come to the Savior who's paid the price, Jesus, our identification with Jesus becomes such that He takes our sin and gives us His righteousness and God looks at us through this. uh, Our standing is because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It becomes our standing. That's good news. Paul explained it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We traded places. And so God looks at us and declares us righteous and holy in his sight. Look how Paul concludes the thought, verse 22. You are holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, he's saying here you were alienated from God and condemned, but Christ came into your life and he declared you holy and righteous in God's sight. Don't know God. Don't go mixing that in with something from the world and think you're going to improve on the holiness and the purity and the perfection of Jesus Christ. We're to live our lives differently after Jesus comes into our lives. We are now holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. So we need to continue in our faith and to grow closer to Christ and to know more about him and to live for him in this world. To be steadfast and stable, not shifting, keeping the hope of the gospel that's in you. What's that? That I have no hope in God's sight other than Jesus Christ. Our identity apart from Christ, if we look in ourselves, we find hostile rebels caught up in evil deeds and alienated from God. That's who we were. That's who some people still are. And the only way to overcome our personal or our individual brokenness or our rebellion against God is through Jesus' physical death on the cross, his reconciliation, his blood that was shed for you and for me. He's the one with the power over us to change us. He can make you holy. So if you look at Jesus compared to any other world religious leader who got a faith started, he makes a claim that no other religious founder claimed. They all said, you know, you've you've got a, a higher power or a this or a that, and they're pointing somewhere, and Jesus simply pointed to himself, and he said, I'm God, come in human flesh. The fact... That it, it's true, is what makes Jesus stand out above all others. That he was God, come in human flesh, that he is God and alive today. It's all about Jesus. He is supreme. So what is Jesus place in your heart? Well, St. Augustine, who wasn't always a saint and who really struggled with living in this world and then coming to Christ and becoming a whole new person in Christ, said that Jesus Christ is everything or he's nothing. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. Sometimes we try to live in the in-between and we just need to claim Christ and to put him on the, 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 the throne of our lives, to put him first. To make him First and to find our identity completely in in our wholeness in Jesus Christ. Not in this physical world, not in science, not in man-made religion, not in humanism, not in yourself. Keep to Christ. Don't add anything to it. So how do you show the supremacy of Christ in the spheres of your life? We showed that little chart where the sphere of at home and at church and in the community. Well, at home... We hope and pray that parents who love Jesus Christ model him to their children and not only in their prayers and at meals and at bedtime, but in how they talk with one another and how they communicate and how they solve problems and and how they go about daily life and how they go about the chores of keeping the family moving forward and, and how they treat one another in the home to say that Jesus Christ is part of our family. He's the Lord even in our home. And at church, by our songs and our prayers and our worship and our programs and in in our small groups and in how we serve one another and how we serve um, beyond this, that we demonstrate that we're lifting up Jesus to the highest place, the number one spot. And we adore him, we revere him, and we obey him with our lips and with our lives. And in our community, how do we make him known How do we share him? You know, we thought we were going to be moving to San Juan this August, and we're in a little bit of a delay to save a little bit of money. Okay, actually, it's a long delay to save a lot of money, okay, but but uh, we're willing to do that. So probably after the first of the year sometime. So while we thought we were moving, Micah, who pastors our congregation down in San Juan, went and uh, tried to get on the calendar for the city manager for the city of San Juan. So they said, okay, well, two months from today for 15 minutes at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we got a spot for you. And so he just decided to wait patiently. So he waited the time, and he showed up for the meeting on time, and he met with the city manager. And of course, they didn't know what his agenda was, but when he came in and he said, you know, I'm from a church that's just down the street, and we want to do more things here in our community for the sake of Christ. What could we do to help you here in San Juan? Oh, well, then the city manager got very excited. The meeting went way longer than the 15 minutes it was supposed to. And pretty soon they're calling in other people saying, hey, you need to talk to this young pastor because they've got some ideas. They can help us. And started to come up with a list of things that uh, you'll probably be hearing about because for us to get out in our communities and to demonstrate the love of Christ in the way we serve is shares Christ beyond ourselves. Also brings the joy of the Lord in great measure into our hearts. So we can show that Christ is number one in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church, and in our community, and in our world. Jesus is all the body needs, and he's nothing it doesn't. He's pure, and he's powerful, and he's undiluted. So claim him as yours today. Ladies and gentlemen... He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He is tops. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the best. He is preeminent in everything. All the fullness of God dwells in him, and God is pleased. He is the one who can reconcile man with God on earth or in heaven. He makes peace between God and man by shedding his own blood on the cross. And he can present you holy and blameless and above reproach to God. Please welcome Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, into your heart and in your home and in our church and in our communities. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, it's all about you. And we're so slow to come around to that to figure that out. I pray that you will give us your wisdom and your grace. I pray that we will be filled with the Spirit of Christ, that our gratitude will grow, that even like Paul sitting in prison and yet saying, Thank you, thank you, Jesus is number one. He is awesome. He is the image of the invisible God. May we lift you up in our thoughts and in our conversations. May we talk to other people about you like Dottie's doing, just because. The Lord is so awesome. May we give you the thoughts of our hearts and the decisions that we make and how we live our lives and how we uh, share you with the people around us and how we impact this world for good with your grace and your truth. So may we be your people and do your work and know your joy. Amen.